0: That's joinMIDI.com.
1: You're listening to Transcending Sport on WISP Sports Radio, Episode 12. Sending Sport hears stories from the women who have given back to the sport to help others in different ways, from organisations to campaigns, business, sports administration to charities and media initiatives. I'm Chris Stafford, and at Wisp Sports, we believe that women in sport deserve equal coverage.
2: Our primary focus is uh, giving girls exposure, access and opportunity to play sport, Um, not from a competitive perspective, but um,
1: almost recreationally, such that they will find the sport that they love. Dr. Kimberly Clay, who is President and CEO of Play Like a Girl, a non-profit organization that is creating programs and events that will inspire middle school girls to get out and play. Their mission is to advance the health and empowerment of girls through the transformative power of sport and physical activity and to leverage the collective power of women to deliver the early positive experiences that middle school girls need to develop a lifelong commitment to play. Statistics show that all too often girls drop out of sports at the age of 14. And so by creating after-school programs, the goal is to keep girls active in the hope that they'll remain physically engaged in activities throughout their life. As the organization Play Like a Girl evolved, it became clear from research that something needed to be done about overweight and obesity in the female population. So they shifted their focus specifically to the 11 to 14 age group. And we'll hear from Kim about the organization's development, their progress so far, and plans for the future. Kim, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Super excited. Well, we're looking forward to hearing all about your organization, Play Like a Girl. As the president and CEO, does that mean you were part of the founding team for this organization, Kim?
2: Yes, crazily, I am.
1: (laughs) I actually started the organization back in 2004
2: while a doctoral student in Alabama and um, started in my living room, actually, with seven other women who were in doctoral programs across uh, the spectrum of public health. And um, since that time, we've evolved into a much broader and larger concept and program and organization that we ever thought was possible. It was nothing we intended to do. It was actually a passion project to give back to our local community. And uh, people really responded well, uh, particularly mothers of girls. And that's really where things began to formalize for us. So in 2006, we were officially uh, deemed a corporation uh, with nonprofit status from IRS and have been functioning as such ever since.
1: What has been your main goal then, Kim, or has it changed since you sat around your living room there with the idea? Yeah, we've definitely
2: evolved uh, in our goal, uh, more specifically, even in our mission. Uh, When we first started out back in 2004 uh, in Alabama, we were facing racial and ethnic and gender disparities in health and we wanted to really make a dent in cancer um, outcomes, in particular with women, breast and cervical cancer, because in the deep south, particularly the Alabama region of what's called the black belt, uh, women of color were disproportionately impacted with uh, new diagnoses of uh, breast and cervical cancer but even more disproportionately impacted by um, the death rate, mortality rates associated with poor outcome from um, those diseases. And so that's where our work initially began. And so over the course of several years, we began to recognize uh, the research that was really pointing us toward more cancer prevention and control work. Uh, and so a lot of our messaging and our work was event-focused at that time. We we're doing live event activations to an average of 1,300 to 1,500 mothers and daughters in a single setting uh, several times throughout the year uh, at major uh, national awareness days, uh, in particular October, of course, around Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And um, realized that as we were intensifying our work in prevention, the thing that continued to show up over and over again, and at that time we weren't operating under the same name, uh, But this informed our rebranding to Play Like a Girl, and that was that our audience was uh, continuing to grow as it related to overweight and obesity. And so we saw it as... Uh, really critical to our work to begin to intervene earlier, uh, shifting our focus on the daughters of those mothers we had in the audience, and to also really become strategic in our attention around doing something to combat the overweight and obesity issue with that population. And thus, uh, the change in our name and our focus. Um, and even since then, we've evolved into uh, having a much more clearer direction around how we want to use play and how play more specific to sport can be utilized not only for the health benefits, uh, but also some of the natural properties of leadership and confidence and teamwork that young women um, can, you know, glean from and take into other areas of their lives, including life and career. So, uh, our mission today is to ensure that girls. Uh, actually meet and reach their full potential. And we are, you know, using sport and physical activity as a conduit to do that. And that includes health, but it also includes other areas of life uh, with a particular focus on uh, changing the statistic that by age 14, girls are dropping out of sport at 1.5 to 2 Uh, times the rate of boys uh, and that their confidence is also plummeting. So we have critical work to do and uh, those beginning days back in the early 2000s really helped to inform uh, the type of work that we're doing now.
1: And which age group are you primarily targeting, Kim? And part two of that question is where are you getting your best responses to this movement?
2: Yeah. We um shifted our focus uh to more strategically focused on uh girls in the nine to thirteen age range. Uh, back in I think 2014 when the Nike Design to Move report was released. Subsequent to that was the Aspen Institute's project play. Report and then uh, Ernst Young and ESPNW released a report uh, looking at the role of sport uh, and its long-term impact on women uh, in the C-suite. And so, uh, what the many other reports had also shown was again that statistic that we're losing girls as it relates to sport, but also physical activity. So active play. Uh, before age 14. And so we recognize that if at that critical age of 14, most girls are going into their ninth grade year, some girls ending their ninth grade, going into 10th grade, that we've got to get them early. So our focus began to shift on the younger age group of middle school girls uh, between the age of nine to 13, for that primary uh, purpose uh, to introduce and deliver early positive experiences in sport and physical activity for these girls who otherwise wouldn't have access to sport. Uh, And then to also uh, help to reintegrate everyday play into everyday life. You know, going back to double dutch and hula hoop and some of those types of things uh, through some programs that we introduced. um, Our two primary programs are our after school program, uh, Play Like a Girl Clubs, where we rely and partner with, uh, rely on and partner with volunteer coaches who happen to be moms, PE teachers, uh, individuals from PE, PTAs and PTOs in communities and schools who partner with us to start and lead and coach girls in a sport of their choice. Uh, So... We've got Abby, who is an avid volleyball player and yoga instructor who will lead a club uh, specifically in her sport, uh, volleyball, also introducing the girls to yoga in the after school setting. Uh, others may be, you know, specialty, their specialty or love may be for running or soccer or any of the other sports um, that have low cost equipment requirements and those types of things, because we want to limit the barriers to girls to girls continuing to play into their high school years, our biggest focus right now is getting girls in and keeping them in the game, Uh, whether that be uh, them going on to pursue sport professionally uh, throughout high school, college, and then uh, into the professional sector, or for them to just remain active uh, and including sport as part of their uh, active living regimen over the course of the lifespan. Because what we recognize out of the ESPN and EY work is that Ninety four percent of women in the C-suite, meaning the leading business minds of our world are women who participated in sport at some point in their lives. And 52 percent of those women actually participated in sport through the college level. And so we recognize that uh, it's important for girls to be active for the physical and health piece. But also, there are some other uh, natural benefits, as I talked about earlier, around confidence and teamwork and leadership skills that girls are a- able to take from sport and then apply those skills in their lives. Uh, Our second primary program has been uh, what we've called our pop-up play days. It's where we partner with community organizations and schools where there are no play like a girl clubs uh, to go in and introduce uh, the concept of our work to communities, schools, parents, and and the girls, of course, uh, where we literally uh, provide for them a day of old-fashioned field day play. Um, and we're super excited this year to be expanding it to include, uh, a corporate version of that. So we'll be offering an adult field day, uh, in Nashville this year as well. Um, our best, uh, I would say reaction and response uh, to the work has certainly come from mothers, but also school administrators and uh, principals in particular who want to um, bring programming into their schools uh, that address the needs of their girl populations in particular, um, recognizing the issue with overweight and obesity, but from the perspective of, you know, budget cuts to their PE programs, the competitive nature of their sporting programs that then eliminate the opportunity or option for girls to participate in sport. And then the issue of access uh, for many girls who can't access sport outside of the school setting as well. Being able to offer Play Like a Girl Club or a pop-up play day, uh, which we now call Play Like a Girl Games. We're actually going through uh, a rebranding. I'm super excited about it. Um, And so bringing our games into those schools as well as our our clubs is really where we've been able to, um, I think, make a lot of headway uh, partnering with schools and administrators uh, and PE teachers in particular. And uh, we've actually done a lot of work to also represent those populations of decision makers and stakeholders on our national board of directors. And so being able to uh, reflect back to the community that we hear um, their call for us to continue to expand programming um, in such a way that we're also you know, bringing those people onto our team as well.
1: Explain your network, Kim, presumably you're a national organisation now, how you reach and extend your network, who do you rely on if it's not the schools, Uh, just talk a little bit about the the logistics of it all and, and who you're working with primarily and how you're extending your network.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, as I mentioned earlier, we're going through uh, a strategic rebranding of the organization because we are indeed trying to um, intentionally uh, position ourselves to grow uh, in a much more strategic way um, to reach uh, more of our national audience. We are a national organization. Uh, but not necessarily on purpose. Uh, Like the evolution of the organization, the evolution of our growth and our reach uh, was also unintentional very early on back in 2010 or so, where uh, college women started reaching out to us, uh, wanting to bring Play Like a Girl Clubs onto their campuses. Um, And so it was that structure that allowed us to then uh, start to erect Play Like a Girl Clubs in states across the U.S., including a program even in in Canada, Um, particularly, specifically at uh, Queen's University and our largest chapter in the U.S. being at Fairfield University in Connecticut. So with those programs, college students basically visit our website. They go through a process of completing an application to start uh, a chapter on their campus. Uh, They then position themselves within their university, get the approvals um, necessary, either through their student life office or their student government association to start a new student organization, just like you would a sorority or an intramural sports team or something like that. Uh, once they're approved, uh, have applied with our as it relates to how much they engage with girls, uh, the structure of their organization by charter and bylaws, we then deem them a fully approved uh, collegiate chapter of our Play Like a Girl clubs. They then convene their members around physical activity and sport um, in a club format on a regular basis throughout their uh, academic semester or year or you know some programs on quarters. And then they also together go into boys and girls clubs, community, centers, as well as middle schools uh, in close proximity to their campus to deliver uh, the Play Like a Girl Club program, uh, as well as the pop-up play days or the games uh, in those settings. Uh, One of the things that we're doing as a part of this strategic rebranding is also our 2022 strategic planning, where, again, adding the intentionality, we're starting to look at you know, where we're getting most or more of our requests for expansion uh, and starting to study those markets, to understand the markets, the needs in those markets, how we can reach uh, through school partnerships in particular, that's always our first uh, focus, school partnerships at the middle school level, uh, to be able to go into those communities that are asking us to bring programs. Uh, it's the same process where typically it's either a school administrator, or a school teacher Mostly PE teachers or athletic coaches, uh, and then PTO, PTA, and parents uh, who reach out to us through our website, complete the application to start a club or to lead a club, and uh, we then go through a process of back and forth, you know, determining what the sport will be, uh, if the location is a perfect fit for us. Uh, and in doing this, we are also uh, actually in the process of developing for the first time ever our own copyrighted curriculum. We have been for several years funded by the Women's Sports Foundation out of New York and have used their Go Girl Go curriculum and absolutely love it, have learned a lot of things um, with it. Uh, But I know that they are actively revising and updating their curriculum. And so we saw it as an opportunity for us to take what we've learned through survey Uh, and focus groups with our own girls to um, create a curriculum that is uniquely play like a girl. And so we're super excited about that. And we'll have some new marketing strategies around, you know, how we expand more intentionally into new markets in the next two to three years, uh, introducing new programming, as well as uh, using our new curriculum.
1: I'm interested in the cultural engagement that you've had, if there's been any particular sectors that have engaged more than others, and and what kind of retention you've had beyond school to keep these girls from falling out at the age of 14.
2: Yeah, so our primary focus is uh, giving girls exposure, access, and opportunity to play sport. Um, not from a competitive perspective, but um, almost recreationally, such that they will find the sport that they love uh, and hopefully continue in that sport, either you know pursuing sport throughout high school, into college uh, and the like, or that they will continue to be active in some area of their lives, either through an intramural sport, a club, or recreation sport, or uh, will just, you know, adopt a f- physically active lifestyle to continue. Um, when we look at our demographic across the U.S. and Canada, um, it's often interesting because we get the question, you know, are we targeting the inner city girl? Because uh, it is, you know quite likely that those girls are the ones who are in greatest need. And yes, we serve that population of girls, but believe it or not, we have a very wide variety and, um, of girls that we serve. When we look at our demographics, we're probably serving right at about 80% Caucasian girls. Um, And we've been able to reach that population through Title I schools uh, in in particular partnership through communities in schools, which is uh, a national kind of collaborative uh, school enhancement, academic enhancement program that partners with schools and takes programming into the school to help enhance the academic uh, pursuits of children, as well as the you know other lifestyle and social skills uh, types of needs that kids uh, in schools might uh, need. So eighty um, percent. Caucasian girls. Um, We then have about a 5% to 10% group of uh, Hispanic girls because we have had a lot of our programming uh, in Texas uh, prior to Nashville. We were headquartered in Texas for several years. Uh, So we saw a huge growth uh, in our Hispanic population there. Uh, And then I would say third would be uh, our African-American population. We were able to grow our African-American population with funding from Women's Sports Foundation, their Sports for All or Sports for Life program, uh, which squarely focused on uh, being able to engage girls uh, from African and Hispanic um, descent to um, sport and engaging them in opportunities around physical activity as well. So we saw our greatest growth in that population in the last, uh, I would say three to five years as we've continued to expand uh, our footprint.
1: And you have events, as you mentioned earlier, and we'd like to hear about the upcoming event in February. And that that is our National Girls and Women in Sports Day. So tell us about that,
2: Yes, absolutely. So every year uh, across the nation, uh, organizations and groups and athletic teams uh, at every level Uh, takes a moment to reflect and pay tribute to uh, women in sport and the accomplishments and achievements, uh, the many of them, uh, that women athletes, coaches and executives in the industry um, have led on behalf of women. Uh, And so we also participate as a part of that. We are This year, returning for our third annual Play Like a Girl Summit, and we're super, super excited. Uh, This year, we've expanded to two days over the course of a weekend, February 16th and 17th. Here in Nashville, uh, we've partnered with uh, Belmont University Women's Athletics, as well as uh, the Women's Sport Film Festival out of L.A., And we're bringing um, to our stage um, two remarkable female athletes, um, A.J. Andrews, the first woman to ever receive the Rawlings um, Golden Glove Award, uh, who also last year graced the pages of the ESPN magazine's body issue. Uh, She'll be talking about body image and confidence and what role that it's played in her um, her career as a young professional softball outfielder, and then we'll also have Shamiqua Halsey, whose um, life story will be told on the screen uh, through a private screening of her film uh, *Mind Games: The Unquiet Journey of Shamiqua Claw. Um, her story is that she actually played right here in Tennessee as a Tennessee volunteer under, you know, the uh, renowned uh, Pat Summit. Uh, went on to become a WNBA champion, legend, in, in, in fact, um, and went on to the Olympics, but actually struggled with mental illness, particularly um, bipolar disorder and uh, clinical depression, which ultimately cost her her career. And uh, she has since used it as a rally call, uh, an opportunity to... Uh, educate uh, and at the same time call to action women and girls uh, around self-care and mental health. And so we're super excited to be able to share their stories along with we have a host of women from every single professional sport team here in the city. Uh, we've chosen a woman executive who's going to come and lead what we call our notebook mentoring session where uh, our girls um, and we've actually also brought in high school girls. So we have 200 girls who will be able, able to participate that day, including both middle and high school girls. And so they'll be talking about um Career choices, college, um, you know, course selections in high school, and the importance of women being at the board um, of, at the boardroom table as it relates to the sport industry. And then we have remarkable women here in Nashville who happen to also be the wives of two Tennessee Titans players, uh, Ryan Casey and Alex Jones, who will share what they're doing. Uh, for social good, how they're leveraging their connection in sport, the, you know, the careers of their player husbands to actually make meaningful impact in the lives of Nashville youth. So I'm super excited about um, what we're able to do this year with the summit. We've grown from an audience of about 125 uh, girls last year on a weekday to now being able to accommodate 250 girls, uh, 200 girls, sorry, uh, over a weekend. So super, super excited about that.
1: Well, lots to look forward to. And finally, Kim, my question would be really where you see the organization going, say, in 10 years' time. What would you like to look back on and see what you've really achieved? Yeah. So for us uh, right now,
2: we're doing something, I think, that's groundbreaking, game changing. And that is that we are introducing science, technology, engineering and mathematics in sport uh, as a part of our after school Play Like a Girl Clubs program. I am super excited about being able to bridge sport um, with those academic Uh, pursuits that we talked about a little bit earlier, where we're able to show girls how sport can open and create opportunity for them beyond the field. Um, And so we are so excited. Uh, I was just on a call yesterday with ESPNW and Gatorade, who's leading the way in this work. Uh, to really be able to respond to the reasons why girls are dropping out of sport. And what Gatorade is reporting in a recent study that they've conducted with Refinery29 is that uh, girls are pessimistic about uh, their future in sport, whether they will, you know, have the ability to go pro in sport. Uh, in addition to that, girls also begin to shift their focus to be more academically driven at about that age of 14. And so if we want to keep girls physically active, if we want to keep them participating in sport, keeping them in the game, then we've got to figure out a way to address that issue of pessimism, that issue of not quite um, having the interest uh, as one would earlier, Uh, on the non-academic side of sport and being able to bridge the gap. And so we're going to be doing that through STEM and sport and showing girls uh, opportunities for career um, exploration and aspirations that allow them to tap into the STEM fields and even uh, art as well um, in utilizing sport as a conduit to future success. So we're super excited about that in the, in the near future as we roll out our new curriculum. for the year gauge, uh, we're actually really, really interested not only in growing our footprint nationally. Of course, we want to be in every middle school, you know, every community center. Uh, we're partnering with Girls Incorporated and YWCA uh, here locally. We want to continue to do that, uh, moving into other markets. However, uh, Play like a Girl for the last 14 years has been a 100% volunteer-led and run organization. In fact, uh, my career as I kind of it's earlier in the conversations in academics i am a cancer survivorship researcher Uh, Published in that area for several years, I was on the tenure track uh, as a a professor at the University of Georgia and Morehouse School of Medicine in Atlanta. And uh, eight years ago, left my career because I felt led uh, to this calling to do this work. Having grown up in rural Mississippi, where post Title IX sport was not an opportunity or option for me uh, to do the work full time, and so I've done it now eight years without compensation or benefits. And uh, we recognize that in doing the work over the last 14 years, we've had wonderful volunteers, but it's time for us to shift to a paid professional staff. And that's my biggest vision uh, for the organization in the next 10 years is to have a fully staffed um organization, uh, with leadership at the helm that really sees down the road, thinks strategically with the support of a governing board that will help us to get to that ultimate goal uh in twenty what twenty twenty eight, I guess. Yeah. So um I want to see our girls as alumni coming back to work for us. Uh, I think that is really the vision uh, that we should be casting as an organization. We've been able to retain, you know, for graduation rates of our girls, we retain about 97% of girls in our programs, but 100% of them have graduated our programs and graduated high school. And so I want to be in a position in 10 years to be able to report what happened. You know, if we're truly wanting to close the gap, set girls on a path to lifelong success and career and life, I want to be able to map their their paths forward and be able to report back to stakeholders and donors that, you know what, that 94 percent of women in the C-suite, now represents a portion uh, from play like a girl or the, the opposite play like a girl represents a portion of that 94%. So that would be my big goal and that those girls are coming back to work for us.
1: We love that. It's fabulous work that you're doing, Kim, and we applaud you here. This really speaks to our mission as well to keep girls in sport for all the benefits and all the reasons that we know so well. Thank you. And finally, how can people find you and follow you on social media, Kim?
2: Yeah, everywhere we are. I play like a girl. Our website is iplaylikeagirl.org and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, we're at @iplaylikeagirl. You can also follow the hashtag #iplaylikeagirl. Uh it often confuses people because our official legal name is Play Like a Girl with an exclamation point, no i. Uh, we are a registered trademark. But I want to explain why on social media and web we're I. Because when we rebranded with the name, we recognized that the name had been you know an insult and a taunt for many girls, for many generations. And we wanted to take it and make it a declarative statement of which we would be proud as women, unifying girls uh, all across the country. And so we took Play Like girl you play like a girl back and we now declare I play like a girl so that's how you'll find us on every social media profile as well as our website we want girls to really be proud to declare who they are in the game and that they'll stay in the game and empower other girls to do the same
1: we hope so, too, and pass it on for generations to come. Kim, thank you very much for taking the time to come on the program and share what you're doing there and your vision, and the very best of luck with it. Thank you, Chris, for having me. And if you enjoyed this program, there are a lot more conversations from the world of women's sports at WISP Sports Radio on your podcast player and on our website at wispsports.com, where you'll find articles, blogs, videos, videos, covering all sports for all women around the world. If you would like to join in our conversations about women's sports, please drop us a line to info at wispsports.com. And you can also join in the conversation on our social media pages. Join us on Facebook and leave your comments, questions or suggestions. And as always, we would appreciate a review if you have time to stop by iTunes and tell us what you think about the programmes here at Wisp Sports Radio. And thank you again to my guest, Dr. Kimberly Clay. You can find links relating to this episode on our show notes at wispsports.com. We know you have a lot of choices when it comes to podcasts, so thank you for listening and supporting Wisp Sports Radio and Women in Sport.